0: Welcome, everybody, to Lancaster Speaks Up. This is a podcast episode series from the Lancaster Stands Up media team aimed at community conversation and civic engagement surrounding progressive politics. Check out the Lancaster Stands Up Facebook page for more upcoming events and how to get involved. Today is a Awesome day. We're going to have a great conversation with some great panelists. Uh, we're going to be later joined by uh, Jonathan Matthew Smucker. We have um, around the room, they're going to go and uh, just so you recognize their voices as we're talking, uh, give their name and uh, how they're affiliated with Lancaster Stands Up.
1: My name is Eliza. Um, I live here in Lancaster and in Lancaster City. Um, since we did the last podcast, I have made a job change. I am now working as a community organizer here in Lancaster for Lancaster Stands Up, um, and I'm extremely excited about that, love what I'm doing, um, but yeah, I'm a wife and a mom, and, um, and excited to be here today.
2: Hi, my name is Julia Berkman-Hill, um, I um, moved to Lancaster, actually, to work with Lancaster Stands Up over the summer um, as an intern, and um, I've now um, started working more full-time for Lancaster Stands Up. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited. I wasn't on the the first episode, but I'm really excited to join you all today.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Michelle Hines. Uh, Similar to Eliza, I also uh, quit my job uh, as a scientist uh, working in a local lab to uh, start organizing full-time with Lancaster Stands Up uh, through Beyond the Choir. And I'm super excited and happy to have that opportunity. I'm excited to be here today.
0: Awesome. So this podcast is going to be a lot about how we want to make our Democratic Party better. Um, That doesn't just mean the National Party. It means from the local all the way up through the state to the national. Um, Because obviously a lot of us believe that when moving forward, we need to build up from the bottom these parties so that they work for the uh, individual instead of the elite. So, in talking about that, we do want to start with the national topic uh, surrounding DACA and the spinelessness of the Democrats on this issue uh, surrounding budget resolution.
3: There's a bipartisan um, spending bill that's been passed. It doesn't have any provisions for DACA. So, so, you know, the arguments. I because I I you know personally was upset when um, when I you know the Democrats folded on this. Um, and the argument that I heard was that because Republicans were kind of holding using CHIP as a bargaining tool, mm-hmm. um, and putting that on the table, mm-hmm. and so what I thought was that uh now that they had passed a you know a sh- uh, a spending bill that had CHIP, yeah. that they were taking that tool out of the Republicans' hands, and they mm-hmm. were going to then, uh you know. Again, tie DACA to this spending bill, and that's not what's happening like what I'm reading right here is that the House Democrats um, remain steadfast that no cap should be reached until a DACA resolution was in sight. a DACA resolution is not very clearly in sight, and that that's a problem for many so it looks like the you know uh Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell have just reached a, a an agreement to pass a three hundred A million dollar spending billion. I'm I'm already. I don't. I don't know. Millions, billions. It's all the same to me. Um, But yeah, like a 300 (laughs) billion dollar spending bill over the next two years, and you know, there's, there's, there's no, um, nothing included in here about DACA, and so basically, we're just taking Mitch McConnell on his word. I know that there's a, there's a um, floor debate that's supposed to happen about uh uh talking about daca and um yeah like i said before i think the most likely scenario that comes out of this is that republicans propose a really crappy daca bill that leaves out most people and that the democrats uh sign on to it uh because they're they, they, yeah, well, yeah, because they they want to make, um, they want to make a bipartisan deal, and they want a legislative solution for DACA. Which, yeah, we all do. But this is, uh, this is an example of a larger trend that's been that happens when when the Republicans hold fast and firm the Democrats don't, and then the the compromise is always on the Republican side, mm-hmm. every time. The
1: Overton time. window shifts mm-hmm. significantly yeah. to the right every yeah. time because Republicans won't budge and mm-hmm. they always, like, that's been proven many times mm-hmm. and it's like, it's like Lucy and with Charlie Brown and Lucy with the, with the football. Like, the Republicans are like, here, I'm going to roll this football for you. You can it. You can, you can yeah. trust me. Short and then the, the Democrats are like, yeah, we're going to kick the ball this time. We trust you. And then they go. And of course, Lucy, a.k.a. The Republicans pull the uh, yeah. ball back and the Democrats fall flat on their butts <laughs> because they are not trustworthy yeah. and they will do anything to maintain, the Republicans will do anything to maintain power and get their way mm-hmm. and to shift, keep shifting that Overton window to the right. And, and, and the Democrats, we have people in there who just won't fight. They just will lay down. Mm. They, they, Uh, for whatever, and and they're paid to. I mean, they are, they're corporate donors. (laughs) They have corporations now funding their campaigns and funding them and that therefore they do their bidding and not the bidding of the people therefore don't want to rock the boat.
2: I think there's one narrative that's 100% true about how Democrats have sold out to their corporate donors. And then there's this other thing that happens where um, Democrats who are in the Senate or the House in states that Trump won or that Um, our swing states or republican states um, will use that as justification for compromising um, and they'll use it as a justification for not fighting for the policies that people need and um, it's just a sort of a false theory that if you go towards the middle that you're more likely to be elected but actually if you're in a Republican state and you're not actually distinguishing yourself from Republican. What is going to make anyone vote for you? Yeah. Right. So it's like, it doesn't actually make sense, but Mm -hmm. it's like this narrative that we always have to compromise so that we can maintain the seats that we have. And can, can we
3: talk about the middle for a second? Because the middle has been shifted to the right Mm -hmm. to a point where like, so this, this, like, I will not say I've been on like a, one person vendetta against the word moderate is my least favorite word in the English language. I will not say it without putting quotation marks around it because people don't know what it means. People think, if people hear the they word moderate, it's okay. they think, they think that's it means, a good thing. They think it means reasonable. Right, right. right and it right, doesn't. Correct. Right. Um, what, what moderate really means is, you know, basically that you are, you know, to far to the right when it comes to economic policies, maybe, maybe if you're like a a moderate liberal, like maybe you are, um, you know, maybe you are down with gay marriage, but you still are like, uh, yes, I love capitalism. It's the best thing in the world. Uh, less regulations. Um, you know, there's just absolutely no difference in economic theory between, moderate liberals and 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 moderate conservatives and so the term moderate i mean like that is you know we talk about the um the dominant narrative and that is a term that has been formed by the dominant narrative and that has been completely controlled by the right and so and, and by the democrats compromising being too afraid to stand for their values and coming over to the right. And so now what moderate. Or not means, having any it's, values. It's oh, not exactly. At, at, or not, not even being mm-hmm. too afraid to stand. Well, afraid to offend their donors
1: mm-hmm. because they know that these policies are more, social, uh, more socialist. Mm-hmm. Is that not a word? Mm-hmm. <laughs> more socialistic. No, no. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> We're well, making I, up I words. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> more socialist and they. So edgy. They, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're definitely the cor- you know corporations do not like those kinds of policies mm-hmm. because that means the wealth is shared more equi- equitably. Yeah, and so therefore they, you know, they are too afraid, quote mm-hmm. unquote, to stand up for what the majority of people want and what really popular ideas are. I mean, left ideas if you present them without any sort of political. Um, affiliation are extremely popular. Medicare mm-hmm. for all Bitcoin, is extremely yeah. popular. Mm-hmm. Raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour is extremely popular. If you take away
0: campaign finance reform, is actually really yes, popular. Money out of politics, like eighty percent of people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's that's, crazy. That's, that's
1: Democrats and Republicans, mm-hmm. independents, everybody across yep. the board wants it out. Mm-hmm. Wants money out, of, corporate money out of politics. So it's it's like if you take away the politicization. politic. No. Politicization. Politicisation. It's a t- it's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. Of, um, of these of these of these great ideas, of these ideas that people like, like across the board they're popular. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's where it's like the I think that the Republicans jump in and try to be like, Well that's left and that's far left. Mm-hmm. That's extreme. Yeah. And it's yeah. like it's not no, But their not
0: ideas are so extreme. Yes. Like, but and no one's standing up on the other side saying like other than people like uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, I mean, which is weird that we only have two senators in the Senate that actually like fight for people's values. Mm-hmm. But the 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 thing surrounding that that's crazy is that Medicare for All is really in the scope of uh, world politics a very conservative idea. It mm-hmm. saves the government money. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're right. talking about we're not talking about saving a couple million. We're talking about saving billions of dollars, right. almost trillions of dollars over decades when right. we implement such a system. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't cause longer wait times or, or all these myths that the, the Republicans have come up with. But, but again, let's try to maybe move back towards the de- talking about the Democrats because mm-hmm. that's where we kind of mm-hmm. want to um, focus our, our energy mm-hmm. on. So one thing uh, I think that we've kind of been talking about a lot already is kind of campaign finance reform. Um, so I think that like the two parties have kind of divided up the big, the big corporations and like banks and, you know, big pharma insurance companies are in this side. And then, you know, on the other side, it's like big oil, but there's also some like Wall Street, you know, firms and hedge fund managers that are part of both sides. So it kind of gets muddled in the middle. Um, but what we saw in, um, other campaigns so far, um, in recent years is that they've been having individual contributions uh, making up a larger majority of their, um, their fundraising. So I kind of want to move the topic over to fundraising a little bit. Um, and what are the importance of the bottom?
1: I have a good up. story about this.
0: So I'll, uh, shoot it over to Eliza so she can tell us her story.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, just to sort of talk, talk about this. And I think there's a, many people in this room have heard this story, but, um, I had the opportunity to, um, ask, Senator Bob Casey, who's a Democrat, uh, for our senator in Pennsylvania, um, a question on a, town, a televised town hall that they had at our local um, ABC affiliate uh, in Harrisburg, and I, my question that I that I stated, I don't remember it was a long question, but basically it was about campaign finance reform, and what I brought up was the fact that I was very disappointed in him that he had um, Bernie Sanders had had um, presented a resolution for us to be able to import medication from Canada. This happened last year in 2017. And he did not he did not sign on with it with a number of um, uh, Democrats like, you know, Cory Booker did in and just a bunch of Democrats did not sign on to this. And it was, it was, I mean, it was crazy to me that he didn't. But then when you look into, when I was able to look into who donates his campaign, this man gets a quarter of a million dollars from the pharmaceutical companies. Therefore, they did not want him to vote for anything that would allow Americans to get um, cheaper pharmaceuticals because they're lining his pockets. So why then? So right there is his conflict of interest in you know, having to choose between his donor money that's giving him a quarter of a million dollars and his constituents that want the cheaper medication, but what are we giving him? We're not giving him mm-hmm. a quarter of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. So, Bringing therefore, right, yeah. so I called him out on it during this te- televised town hall. You can Google it on YouTube. <laughs> anyway, but it's, and, and I, I, I asked him about it because I was extremely disappointed, and he had no good answer. He couldn't, it was like, he, he he literally actually did not answer my question and went into some other thing about, yeah, we need to get dark money out of politics. I'm like, that's not what I asked you. But um and so I'm just saying like we need to start calling these people mm-hmm. out. And that was a direct example of what a lot of these senators and a lot of our representatives are doing. Um, they're choosing their corporate donors over the American people, over their constituents, and what would be best for us. And that mm-hmm. that just highlighted this whole argument for me and, and why money needs to be out of po- cor- it, corporate money. Out if of politics.
0: if uh, the pharmaceutical corruption doesn't make you angry on its face, I mean, the the whole idea of this medical industrial complex should. I mean, peop- the, it's not only that it's fraud on its face. We're defrauding patients. Peop- these are human beings that are that are needing care delivered to them, whether it'd be pharmaceuticals. Half of these companies don't even, that are consolidating all their power and building up all these pharmaceutical companies, they spend, um, as compared to a smaller company, they only spend about 3% on innovation, on actual R&D and developing Mm -hmm. drugs, while smaller companies actually spend 18% of their overhead on actually developing new drugs or innovative products for, for patients. So, the the fact that the this system is 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 broken and rigged against us mm-hmm. should enrage you enough to join Leicester Sands up <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> <Secured> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so so my personal view and i don't know how people here feel but i am a proponent of publicly funded elections mm-hmm. i yes. think mm-hmm. that yes, are totally. like i want my tax dollars to go to making this system fair and equitable. Um, and nobody should be, first of all, having to, like, the only way to be a successful candidate, right, is if you have connections, like, Mm -hmm. you know, so you either like getting corporate money, um, and you have like the backing of the DCCC, or you are like a prominent person in the community and you're getting money from, you know, regular people that you know. Um, but I actually um, you know, on on the the local Lancaster County Democratic uh webpage, it, they actually do have um and and I'm a huge fan of this, uh that they they support uh publicly funded elections. Mm-hmm. And what's unfortunate is that I don't see candidates talking about publicly funded elections. Oh. Like that idea to people, like for some reason people find that to be such a radical idea that we would use taxpayer money to make an equitable system where people, uh, where you don't don't only have, I mean, like, look, we have, like, Mark Zuckerberg and, like, Oprah, like, talking about running for president. They're the only ones who can
1: afford to. Yeah, Yeah. they're the only ones who can afford to. So why is
3: it, is it this radical idea that candidates are afraid to talk about when publicly funded elections, it's the best solution to, to coming up with this. And so, um you know so i am excited to see that 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 is you know part of the 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 platform of the local democratic party and i wish that um you know I, I think that we need to be we need all to be pushing harder um on uh candidates to come out and say uh you know look i this is how i'm running my campaign now but when i get into office i'm going to fight for publicly funded elections because that is you know the best the best thing for the american people it's the yeah. only yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 do you
4: want to introduce yourself? Dan, yeah. Oh, hi. Um, I'm uh, Dan uh, from Lancaster stands up. Uh,
3: just got off work.
4: Yeah, I just I just got off work and I intruded into the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, what I want to say is, is is like it seems to be like a popular position to be like against like citizens you united mm-hmm. and be against that ruling, mm-hmm. but is is just like michelle said that you know you don't really have candidates that are coming out for like public financing of campaigns and then also the whole way that um the campaigns are run is that it's just about advertising it's just about you know like getting your name out there like it's not really about policies you know you even see it on the news like they're not talking about policy positions you know they're just like talking about like um, you know, like whatever scandal or like whoever raised the most money or like who has, you know, the best ads. And um, so it's 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 really unfortunate that, um, you know, like so much of it is just like based like based around money. And 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 I also think that, you know, the reason that candidates don't talk about um, publicly funding campaigns is pressure from. Um, from like the DCCC mm-hmm. um because they they are so um, you know like they're so tied with the, this this like corporate like funded system well they well, the can democratic- they can yeah. cherry pick their candidate well yeah the democratic, democratic party. party is a is a
0: corporation. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're filed. The DNC yeah. is filed as a corporation. So, uh,
3: another, so it's
0: like, it, it's like, it's all messed up and like, yeah. we got fi- yeah. to fix, we got to fix it.
3: This other funny um, thing that's on the, the links are dumb's uh, website that appears twice on the website <laughs> is that, it has become quite clear to most of the world that a free enterprise economic system is the foundation of prosperity and freedom. The Democratic Party steadfastly yeah. supports the free enterprise system as the best vehicle through which goods and services can be <sighs> produced and delivered. But, but yeah. the free
0: enterprise system gave, gives us payday loans and right. scams yeah. of fraud mm-hmm. like valent pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Well, well, like, not to be uh, fair,
3: it does go on to state that we need to have regulation, which is something that I <laughs> agree with. But I. Well, sure. I well, <laughs> (laughs) The whole idea of like democratic
0: socialism is like there's you're Mm -hmm. cap you're still capitalist society, but Mm -hmm. the people are controlling the regulations surrounding the economy. So it's not hurting the individual. That's the
3: start, right? Like number one thing, like there should not be millionaires and billionaires. They just like I don't think that millionaires and billionaires should be able to uh exist in like individuals should not be able to have Billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. It just like there, like the, the, there needs to be, uh, there needs to be a way that we can prevent that from from happening um, because the economic... taxation you know? Well, D-
4: mm-hmm.
0: Dwight Eisenhower. I mean, even I, back... I'm
3: not necessarily mm-hmm. disagreeing. Like that's a bold statement, and like mm-hmm. I
1: get what you're saying, mm-hmm. but like I, I feel like. Through taxation, I think that that's accurate. Like that, mm-hmm. that's accurate. I'm not saying nobody should be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Like no, well, nobody probably should be a millionaire, but nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody should be
0: definitely be. Right. Yeah. So it's like <coughs> a, that whole narrative surrounding like why does why do three people <laughs> in the United States need to have as much wealth as the bottom fifty percent of Americans? Well, exactly. Like that yeah, right. that that boggles right. my mind that three people three have as much wealth as the bottom half of Americans. That's mm-hmm. a that's a, over 150 million people.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And right. that's that's just... Um, it's obviously very unfair. And so, yeah, I mean, I... Sorry, Michelle. It took me back for a... Because, I mean, I'm so yeah. used to, like, the system that we live in. Like, yeah. it's strange to hear yeah. somebody say mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But but when you think of... I mean, it really is. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense. And it also makes sense that we used to do this by by way of taxation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to get this wrong because I don't remember. Who was the, the president that... Up until what president that they were taxing the rich at like uh, over a certain amount at ninety percent? Oh, it was like you made like well, I know over that they did. I know they did
0: with Dwight Eisenhower. Okay,
1: uh, yeah. oh right. And he was a Republican. He was a lot, right. And they he, did
0: they they taxed almost yeah. up to eighty percent of their income at that time. So they it started 90. dropping I think it was
1: down. I 90%, but yeah. Started dropping down. Yeah. Well uh, uh, corporations. Like they especially. could make up to like 3 million and anything over that. And I, I could be really getting these numbers wrong. Yeah. Please, please don't crucify me. We're not. Again, we're not. You know, like again, the make up to cer- yeah. a certain amount and then you're taxed at 90% mm-hmm. on all the rest of it. Which, yeah. I mean, makes sense because it's like, who can't live on, you know, I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. 3 million or whatever million it is or whatever the money is. I mean, they're... Yeah, it's not like you're going to be a beggar on the street.
3: And I I think that, like, a part of this is, like, yes, like, we have these, um, you know, conditioned things, right? Like, like, we're taught that, like, being a millionaire, like, that's what you strive for. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what, that's, that's, you climb the ladder, and that is the peak of American success. But we don't often, number one, stop to question uh, those, those thoughts and beliefs and uh, narratives. And then number two, Think about where values fit into our politics. Mm -hmm. So when I think about should people be able to be billionaires, um, when I know, uh, you know, I have a friend in Quarryville that's working her butt off in three jobs, uh, and I know people that are, you know, living on the street. I know people that have uh hundreds of thousands of dollars in in student debt. I mean like the like the the way that that regular people are struggling today, that the vast majority when I talk about regular people, I'm talking about ninety nine percent of people, 99%. you know, are struggling today. Um no. You don't need a billion dollars. You don't need a million dollars. You you just you simply don't. And uh, you know, to me, um, that is just where where my my values come in to inform uh, to inform my my political beliefs. Is you know, like I, I walk by uh, you know homeless people on the street every day, and I know there's a lot of different things that lead to homelessness, but but you know we have a society that that can't figure out how to take. Care of these people and can't figure mm-hmm. out how to give people affordable housing and how to give people jobs. Uh, but we can figure yeah. out real easily. What well, you know. I think that's
0: a narrative issue because I think that like the, the culture has been they, they've sucked up this idea that that if you are on the street that it's your fault, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. right. even though yeah. it might oh, not oh, have bailing. been there.
1: Totally. Pulling yourself up by well, your bootstraps. Well, well, yeah, which, which is, is a gross narrative that's mm-hmm.
4: been uh, propagated. A mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well. um well, I I I was just going to say, like like that. That's, um, you know, the way that they rationalize like people being poor is that it's always it's your fault, you mm-hmm. know. And, and if so you're rich, that, it's
3: your fault, and that's not true. Yeah, it's, it's but, not. It's no. not. I mean, you you you. If you're rich, you're probably born into it, mm-hmm. or you just like happen to like you know, stumble upon like it's it's not necessarily because you worked hard. Like yeah. what the hell is the stock market? I don't know what the stock market is, but I know that it's how rich people get richer and richer and richer. Like yeah and, 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 and it's not because they're working hard, mm-hmm. you know? Uh and 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 so, you know yep. sorry to interrupt, but you know, on the flip yeah. side of that it's like it's also not your are doing necessarily if you're if you're rich. Yeah.
4: And and I also wanted, you know, like um, to say something about like you mentioned, like oh, we don't know what to do with poor people and so stuff. We know how to fix all this stuff. Mm-hmm.
3: Correct. It's like,
4: but that's not where you know, like our focus is, like as a society is, is. You know, like capitalism
1: yeah. has sold. The society bill of ill goods. They mm-hmm. sold us a, a lie called the American Dream.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and in fact, when the American Dream was somewhat true, was when we had more social socialism, socialist. Why can't I guess? Social, this? When yeah. We social. A social, yeah. When we had more social so, services. Right, social mm-hmm. services, we had a lot a stronger social so- safety net uh, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. and that made it more uh, like the idea of the American Dream happening. Now that we we've pretty much. Gotten rid or lessened dramatically, a lot of these so- programs, these social programs, and there, but we still want to prop up this whole American dream fantasy, um, you know, based based on this, these memories or based on what mm-hmm. we used to do when what, what, with the uh, when what we're doing now is not going to allow doesn't allow the American dream to actually exist.
4: Yeah, so, and 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 we're actually like, you know, the. Republicans in Congress are like actively trying to get rid of all these programs mm-hmm. that, like, actually right. made you know, like, the American dream as much of a myth as it is, like, right. possible for at least like some people.
0: And if they didn't have that idea of the American dream, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have had refugees like Steve Jobs' dad come to America and invent the iPhone. So if you have an iPhone, thank a refugee today. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but but yeah, I think. For me, like, it all comes back to, like, what are our priorities as a society mm-hmm. and, like, how does that inform our politics? And I think that we need to, um, like, shake off these narratives that have been placed upon us and look inside of ourselves and see what what are your values and, and, and what are your priorities in your life and let those inform your politics. Because yeah. I think that... Uh, you know, that's happening. I think more and more people are doing that as they see these alternatives of a, of a you know, more progressive vision for society, uh, you know, being offered to them. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. people, you know, you didn't hear a lot about Medicare for All a few years ago. But mm-hmm. when, when you had somebody like Bernie Sanders touring around the country talking about it, it resonated with people. People mm-hmm. are so fed up. People are... Just fed up with the way things are, and know that it's not fair, and that they're and they're they're being able to say it's not our fault; it's the system's fault. And like mm-hmm. that is like a super huge victory, and it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And and you know, to bring it back to the, talking about you know Democrats and um, like what kind of Democrats uh, you know we're looking for is that it's it's really exciting that we have more uh, uh, candidates that are standing up and actually promoting policies that are different from Republicans and mm-hmm. campaigning on policies that are different from, uh, from, from their Republican counterparts. Um, you know, sometimes I see Democrats running with they like have their policy issues and they just like, it's just like an empty sentence or an empty void and it's, mm-hmm. that you can fill in with whatever you want. And, nobody wants to follow that people don't want to line up behind a a vague statement they want to line up behind what they believe in and 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 we know the progressive ideas are popular and so i'm just really excited about the way that the democratic party is transforming and you know that's the other piece of it is that you know like we can name the problems you know that we see within the democratic party but we also know that like there's an active movement to change those problems and to make the Democratic party stand for the people and that's the most exciting thing to me totally
2: and that makes yeah. the party stronger because more it, yes. people yeah. can identify mm-hmm. with it, mm-hmm. and so the more people that you have contesting the meaning of the Democratic party and the meaning of like what we should be as a society what Mm -hmm. america should be the stronger that our politics are and i think there's a lot of people who are threatened by the the new sort of (coughs) like movement of progressive candidates that are running for office but it's actually only going to make the party stronger Mm -hmm. and more successful in the long Mm -hmm. term to have so many young people so many people have been um, sort of like on the sidelines, actually getting involved for the first time.
1: I mean, I agree. And when you have, when you're given the option of Republican or Republican light, people <laughs> are going to go with Republican. Yeah, and <laughs> especially Democratic, Republicans, right? right exactly, <laughs> and, right? Because people see no difference, and it's it's a shame because. We need, I mean, we live in a a two-party system, unfortunately. I'll add that caveat because I don't like that. Um, However, that's what we are in right now. So we need a clear distinction between these two parties. Otherwise, it promotes voter apathy. It promotes, um, you know, obviously people just um, voting for the real thing, Republican, as opposed to, well, these people are basically saying the same thing and nothing's going to change if, there and there as opposed to this this person so they see no difference so that's it's it there needs to be a strong distinction and um, and that's why i feel like it's important that we get progressives into office yeah
0: so an example of this just recently bob Casey. there was a there's a vote on an abortion bill to reduce it to 20 weeks that mm. they could have these abortions mm-hmm. and we have corporate democrats voting for these bills that are restrictive yeah. for women's rights yeah. every woman in the democratic party should be if you're pro if you're pro choice should be upset about that kind of thing because that's not standing up for your rights that's mm-hmm. not standing up for um the uh, unfortunate decision that that these these women have
4: to make yeah and well, and, and I say that like, it's also ironic that like, that's the thing that Bob Casey will take a stand on, you know? <laughs> yeah, because, exactly. because that was just a symbolic vote. That bill was never going to pass. So he had no reason to, to vote yes on, on, on it, but he wanted to make a point. Mm-hmm. Who is he sending
3: that, a message to? Like, that's what yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Like, minute, how many, the how middle, how, how many Republicans the new middle. are voting for Bob Casey? Like, not a lot. Like, I don't think no. that there's, like... there. Where are these mythical, like, moderate Romney voters that are voting for Bob Casey? Moderate
1: Republicans is... That's a fantasy. Like, there's okay. no such thing as a moderate Republican anymore, in my personal opinion.
3: Yeah. I think huh? it
4: used to exist. Yes,
1: it yeah. did, for sure. But as of right now, well, right
3: very now, own, politics
1: right now... Our very yeah. own
3: Lloyd Smucker used to uh, be somewhat of a moderate Republican, and now... He's supporting, like, he used to support he, Dreamers! I feel yeah.
1: like he was like what George W. Bush used to call, like, compassionate conservatism, which... <laughs> that shouldn't... By the way, way you, which, shouldn't which you shouldn't
3: have to... Which is weird. Which is weird. I mean, I mean weird. if you want
1: to talk about George Bush yeah. being compassionate... I'm passionate and, like, starting wars based on nothing and bombing... sorry. <laughs> well, bombing pe- countries that, you know, and innocent people and how many lives were taken by that. But anyway, but I'm talking about, like, the way he presented, like, um, this thing. It's, it's just... It no longer exists if it ever did. And um, we now have, like... You're
3: either, like, hard right or... <laughs> or right. Or modern
1: <laughs> Right. And well, you're either hard right or
3: you're just going mm-hmm. along with you know, yeah. the, the, like a lot of a lot of folks in, in Lancaster are like traditionally Republican and they mm-hmm. haven't they just do they're just in a habit. Right. They They vote Republican. Yeah. And some notice, some don't, that the Republican Party has completely transformed into this. Crazy, out of control thing, uh, but they, you know, are still going into the voting booths and doing what they've done for the past eighty mm-hmm. years yeah, of their lives. Right, <laughs> um, right. But and, also,
1: I mean, they, I mean, Fox. We have more. We have like Fox News. We mm-hmm. have Breitbart. We have all these, um, these news outlets, quote unquote, on the right that have come, you know, more into mainstream. Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean, and and they and they're being fed this constant diet. And now Facebook also. They filter out what people see. Like, if you tend to look more Mm -hmm. right-wing stuff, that's what you're going to see every day. So they're, then, and they're also told, Democrats are really bad. They're right, or they're left-wingers. They're Mm -hmm. extremists. They're blah, blah, And so instead of, like, actually, like, they just believe what they're being fed, Mm -hmm. as opposed to really kind of thinking about it. Like, critical thinking in America is dying. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, they just want to be force-fed Whatever, and and they just regurgitate it. I mean, look, Donald Trump and his supporters are the perfect, and no offense, but are the perfect example <laughs> of this that of things that like he he tells them things that are easily disproved, easy, mm-hmm. easily that he's completely lying about. And these people, if it comes from him. On his Twitter or whatever, or they hear him say it, like, no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. They just yeah. repeat it. They don't even mm-hmm. bother
3: to look to see if yeah. it's true. Yeah. And, yeah. well, and, 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 you know, the reason, like, a lot of the reason, and it's not all the reason, we know that, like, racism, white supremacy right. is, like, a driving factor of a lot of people's politics in this country. But there's also the, you know, fact that Donald Trump was naming a lot of, a lot of real problems. Mm-hmm. And, he wasn't necessarily providing solutions, and he right. certainly isn't going to provide solutions now. But he was naming problems, uh, basically naming that the, the the political establishment is corrupt and it's not working for the people. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have anybody on the left. Well, you did, but the primary. <laughs> right, right, but yeah. you didn't have, you know, like... Uh, uh, the, the Democratic Party and Democrats coming out in force and saying the same thing. Uh-huh. People know the problem. They don't necessarily know the solutions, but they certainly know that the political establishment is not working for the people. They know that their voices don't count. Um, and I don't believe that their voices don't count. I believe that if, if people get organized, that our voices absolutely count. And I've seen that happen. But that is how people feel. They just, they're, they're out, they, they, you know, it, with our recent campus event, Everybody that came back said people are just saying that they don't like either party and they're so fed up they don't even want to participate. They just feel so disillusioned and they feel left behind by both the Republicans and the Democrats. And mm-hmm. these are Democrats' doors that we're, you know, yep. we're knocking on. Mm-hmm. So so the, the Democratic Party needs to do something and it needs to do something fast in order to... You know, make people come on board again, and 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 give people like a better alternative and a positive vision, um, so that they can identify with the party. Well,
0: I, I think this is a great conversation to kind of tie in this idea of uh, the super delegate system, because mm-hmm. no wonder that people feel just so disillusioned when their primaries were rigged against them in the Democratic uh, primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as well as this, this whole system of superdelegates, it was released that they were going to try to reduce the number of superdelegates. Um, but that just doesn't go far enough The people should have a voice. That's what a democracy is. That's mm-hmm. what I think so many people are offended by that we have a, a system that, that protects the establishment voters versus mm-hmm. the, the, the will of the people. And mm-hmm. I, 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 for one, I'm just against that.
4: Yeah. yeah. Well, um. well, it's, it's, It's funny because like the whole like super delicate system was created specifically to stop candidates like Bernie Sanders, you know, um, like, like, so it's not like a conspiracy theory or anything if like people are talking about it being rigged Mm -hmm. Um, uh, because, you know, the the Democratic Party wanted to protect themselves from a populist um, pro-aggressive candidate because they thought that they couldn't win.
1: Well, uh, do you know what that's based on?
4: Uh, it's based on McGovern, right? McGovern, yeah. right,
1: yes. And he lost, like, severely. Yeah, he got given.
4: killed by Nixon. But... Nixon? Yeah.
1: Oh, Nixon, Nixon, yeah. Nixon, right, right, right. I'm thinking Jimmy. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And that's why they were like, we need to put this into pl- into place so that this doesn't happen again. hmm and, and so it it came, it's, you're right, it's not a conspiracy theory. I think people don't understand the history of it. And that's why they, they're like, oh, it's not, you know...
3: You know, or they don't know
1: the history behind mm-hmm.
3: it, why it started. And and you know, like just like personally, like when it comes to super delegates and everything, like for me it's just like I've always like had this idea that like yeah, like the, the I know the system's corrupted. So it's like not anything new to me, but a lot of like when you talk to people and like you knock on people's doors and you are just uh just talking to like people that that used to identify with the democratic party, there are like so many people that are so pissed off and they're leaving in droves. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, the Democrats, the the establishment response to that is that those people that are leaving the party or that are fed up with the party are the reason that we're losing. Yeah, And it's an elitist narrative Mm -hmm. and it's not helping anything. Um, you know, they, uh, The people that are, uh, even in Lancaster County, I mean, from 2014 to, to, to currently we have like thousands less registered Democrats, Mm -hmm. um, in, in the area. And, um, I don't doubt that that is because people that are fed up with the Democratic Party are changing their affiliation. Um, I personally know a lot of people that left the Democratic Party, um, and um, I am still a registered Democrat because I believe that we can uh, change and transform the party. I believe that we're currently doing that, but uh, to blame people for um, being uh, upset at your failures instead of owning your failures and changing what you're doing is not a winning strategy in my book.
1: And I, I wanted, I mean, and just to... Um, go off of that a little bit. I wanted so bad to be a Dem Xer, quote unquote, leave the Democratic Party. I've been a Democrat my whole life. And after Bernie lost the, um, primary, which I thought was extremely unfair, uh, and I, I won't use the word rigged, but I know it has been. Well, it was rigged. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. We'll just use but, but, um, but I also like, you know, I understand the reasoning for people wanting to do that, but we live in a two-party system.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: and going outside of that at this point is, you're, in my opinion, you're wasting your vote. Yeah. You need to stay within it, and we need to transform the Democratic Party. So that's what I became committed to do at that point is to infiltrate or you know get progressives into the Democratic Party <laughs> mm-hmm. leadership from local all the way up to the national level mm-hmm. in politics. Yeah. And just take it over and say, you know what? You can't stop us. We're coming. We are, we're here. And we, you know, we know the way that, we know the way that the Democratic Party should go. And it needs to go more left. Yeah. There ne- we, we can't be republican light anymore. That's why you've lost over a thousand seats. That's why, you know, you continue to lose the narrative battle. It's because you're not strong. You're not putting out there, your progressive, progressive values, which are popular across the board, across this country, and you know, unless unless they start understanding that and understanding that progressives are the way and the only way that we're going to be able to um, win,
5: they're going to continue to lose. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, sorry, I. You want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jonathan Smucker. Uh, I'm with Lancaster Stands Up and the director of Beyond the Choir, um, an organization that has been pushing, um, trying to build independent political power, um, in part to push the Democratic Party. Um, I think that the thing that you're saying, um, Eliza, about the um, the two party system, I, I think that there's. I hardly hear people talking about the actual mechanics of that. And I think mm-hmm. that there's a lack of understanding. And it seems reasonable to people often that, like, hey, they've got third parties in Spain, they've got Podemos, in Greece, they've got Syriza. Why don't we just do that here? And people don't understand the constraints of our particular system. And it's really important to understand that. It's really, that's part of the map if we're to to navigate the map that we operate in. And like, for one, we shouldn't take for granted that that's going to be that way forever, right? Like, Mm -hmm. however, like what it legitimately takes to change our electoral system is either a revolution or a constitutional convention. And, And my question for people who think well, let's do that, is how do you think we're going to win a constitutional convention if you can't win some electoral seats in the system as it runs, right? Yeah. Like, we have yeah. to win something yeah. on the way to the bigger victory, right? <laughs> right? You think the system is going to collapse and you're going to have the advantage afterward to build it? Why do you think that? Exactly. Right? So um, just the particulars of that system are that other countries have proportional democracies. They have parliamentary democracies where... It varies from country to country, but some countries it's as few as 3%. If you win 3% of the vote, you get 3% of the parliament seats, right? 5% of the vote, you get 5%. You get proportional seats. So it actually makes sense to have multiple parties on the left because if they win, they can form a coalition that has a majority as opposed to here where if there were multiple parties on the left, it guarantees that the Republican Party wins, right? And I think what's really key about this, though, is to understand that to stop treating the Democratic Party as if it equals a political party in one of these other countries that have parliamentary systems, the Democratic Party is actually much more of a terrain than it is an entity, right? It's a terrain that we can can, can contest, um, and so I can be a little pedantic about words, but I don't say within the Democratic Party. I say in relation to the Democratic Party that we need to build independent political power that can navigate the terrain of the democratic party that can push the democratic party that runs as Democrats. Yes. Cause that's the only game in town, but that builds an independent vehicle, like a faction mm-hmm. that, that, that pushes that can't be taken for granted. And that's what labor organized labor was in the past is to some extent, it's not all or nothing, but, mm-hmm. but we actually need that to be much, much stronger. We need the, the basically the base of working people, being organized mm-hmm. to be a stronger force pushing the Democratic Party.
3: Yeah. We actually wanted yeah. to talk uh, about um, like labor unions and kind of how the the left and the Democratic Party is kind of uh, lost that and, and unions are, are shifting.
0: I think uh, one thing on this note about unions that I think really upset people too is that when it came to it and in Wisconsin when the teachers unions were, were marching that the president said president then president Barack Obama wanted but he had said that he would stand and put his shoes on the ground and walk with those teachers unions but he never did he never mm-hmm. went out and pushed a national narrative about that so I think there's like although Barack Obama was a lot better than the current president I think there's a lot to learn from that presidency that we can then you know put into uh, the next presidency uh, that that we have a Democrat or not just the focusing on the presidency. Cause obviously we want to work on this whole idea. That's why we're all here and Lancaster stands up. It's because we're working on grassroots movement um, to power. So um, moving forward, I, that's gotta be the strategy. And I, I, I like hearing what, what Smucker says about, about unions because um, there's, there's only a couple left in the, in the country um, a couple of them are surrounding uh, medical, uh, the medical field with nurses mm-hmm. as well as, you know, police unions and then teachers. I mean, those are the big ones that we hear about. There's other ones in the food industry and, and what have you, but but they've been primarily vilified
4: over mm-hmm. the past, you know, 40 years. And now the narrative has won over uh, over it. Well, um, I I just want to like point out that you know something that's been happening within the Democratic Party is its shift from being like the party for the working class to being the party for the professional class. Mm-hmm. Which you know the working class, you yes. know that's where the unions were centered, right. and but the professional class, there's not really like a lot of unions mm-hmm. around that, and so like that's um, you know like a big reason like for the shift and 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 kind of you, you know the party is kind of like you know is a little bit like condescending like to the working class they're like Not oh a bit. yeah <laughs> oh, <a lot laughs> yeah yeah year. majorly and and it's like well yeah you are working at a food service but instead of like trying to organize and mm-hmm. make your life better within that sort of work no you should go to college you should get a degree you yeah. should have like like a real professional job yeah huh? and
3: i i think a huge huge part of this like beyond you know, policies um, that we know that, you know, the Democrats haven't been fighting visibly for the working class is just, like, the elitist, you know, mm-hmm. narrative. Yeah. It's, yeah. like, what reason does a construction worker, you know, that's, like, working hard, that's surrounded by his, like, conservative friends and family, what reason does he have to identify with the, the Democratic Party? What mm-hmm. visible, do- like, Foot in the door, you know, like where is his welcoming that mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that, that's the, the biggest thing that, that really frustrates me is just like, can't you at least like get your optics <laughs> in order and, yeah. and, and show people that uh, create a bigger tent mm-hmm. and show people, give people a, a, a way in, um, this
2: right. You know, well, I just, it just becomes so insular and, yeah. And that there's this idea that, you know, especially in conservative areas or areas that have been voting Republican, that so many people are just written off entirely Mm -hmm. from the process. And, I mean, I even see friends of mine who live um, in, like, the Northeast area, like, saying things like, oh, yeah, well, people in Pennsylvania deserve what's happening to like healthcare, uh, premiums going up or whatever, because they voted for Trump. Well, it's like, that's actually not true in Mm -hmm. any way. And it's really condescending. And, um, that's not how we win. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not how we win. We're not going to win by disdaining working people, Mm -hmm. um, and writing them off.
5: Yeah. I, I think this is really a central problem, both for the democratic party and the broader left, including even more radical social movements too, the uh, the class insularity that has emerged over the past 50 years in this country. Um, uh, there's actually a, a, a new book out uh, called Dream Hoarders by Richard Reeves, which um, very quick read, but gets to this problem of, you know, there's not just a 1% problem in this country, which, you know, the 1% has rigged the political institutions to serve to, to get them more money. That is a huge problem. We need to frame that fight. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the dynamics and the culture of movements and leadership from labor unions to nonprofits to social movements to the democratic party the broad left both ends of that broad left um, most of the leadership comes out of the top 20 percent and the mm-hmm. top 20 percent of the economic spectrum in the united states has become increasingly there's a chasm between the top 20 percent and the bottom 80 percent and so you have you know you have some leaders emerging in these movements that are from the the, the bottom eighty percent there's there's working class people, a lot of people in this room, uh, myself included, but like then I dove into social movements and kind of assimilate to the more affluent culture right mm-hmm. and so there's not representation and there's not ownership, and there's an increasing culture gap between movements and political institutions. And the working people that should be the basis of many of these organizations. And so that's just that's like a sociological and economic shift that's happened in the culture that we haven't gotten a handle on having a strategy to intervene in correcting that. And so that I mean, that's the heart of the political crisis of legitimacy that we're in, that political institutions don't have legitimacy because this political class that's situated in the upper echelons of society uh, has cut themselves off from working people, and that's also why the political class and the punditry didn't see Trump's victory coming. They didn't mm-hmm. see it. They were in denial. They were surrounded by themselves, um, and also underestimated, you know, Bernie Sanders as a candidate, um, and and also is not learning the right lessons from uh, from. And that's, that's so much of why Trump was able to win. You know, I think a really hard thing for a lot of more affluent liberals to recognize about Trump is the elements of truth that he is hit upon. He distorts them. He perverts them, right? But that's what right-wing populism does. It takes legitimate economic grievances and resentment against a political class that has left people behind and merges it together and distorts it and, uh, you know, know, blends it together with with people's prejudices, et cetera. And, um, you know, so when he attacks, um, you know, PC culture, right? You bet he's attacking social movements. You Mm -hmm. bet he's attacking the gains of feminism and the Mm -hmm. civil rights movement. But the other thing he's doing is he's attacking a privileged discourse that came out of academia that people Mm -hmm. associate Mm -hmm. with social elitism. And that's why he gets the reaction. It's not just that he's getting, that he's tapping into misogyny Mm -hmm. and tapping into uh, racist attitudes. It's that he's blending it and giving more license to those things by putting it with an anti-elitist discourse that has resonance because there is an elitist problem in this country fundamentally. But, mm-hmm. I just,
3: I just, yeah, stop. I understand. Well, I got I to gotta step out. But before I leave, the, the one thing that I'll say is like, we, yeah, the Democratic Party has like definitely like not been uh, good on this issue. But when I look at, um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, more, like socialist leaning movements that are, you know, talk and talk and talk about working people, I still see that huge disconnect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of, some of the tactics that I see people using, it's like, you know, like people, what, what do you see when you think of working people? Like, do you, because, because the, a lot of the, you know, uh, the, the ways that these, these movements, very insular movements that, you know, think of themselves as like radical, like socialist movements are um, presenting themselves as, as radical socialist movements, mm-hmm. and that's not an entry point for everyday working people. So I hear people talking about sol- solidarity amongst the working class, and then I see a huge disconnect amongst—I don't know who they think the working class is, but the you know the mm-hmm. the optics and 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 the language and the tactics that they're using is not the kind of thing that's inviting the working class in. So all in all, I mean, I think the left needs to have a huge overhaul about the way that it thinks about working class people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that it invites working class people in, and gonna um, kind of step out. Just to add on to what both Jonathan and Michelle had said,
1: is the whole narrative in this country, which is a capital, it's a, a feature of capitalism, is to make people believe that being poor is a moral failing
5: Mm
1: -hmm. um and it's something that those on on the left and and the right have um uh just bought into um and i think it's even subconscious because it's fed to us on corporate media and through commercials and through just every you're getting it every way it's like somehow if you're rich You are moral and you're like, it's like, even though we know that that's not true, but like it's presented as you're obviously smarter than everybody else. You're more moral than other people. You deserve respect just because you have money. Um, I mean, it's it's like a constant theme, a constant thing that's being drilled in. uh, And if you're poor or you don't have much or you're homeless or you're, you know, whatever you are, therefore have morally failed and you're stupid you are don't you don't deserve respect. Um, you can be um, your opinions don't matter. You're cast aside, and so I feel like though that's where those of us on the left, particularly you know progressives, are trying to change that narrative. Trying to uh, as much as we can because I mean that's gonna that's such a, lo- a big hole. I mean come on. But you know like just trying to change that narrative so that people start viewing. Um, working people, like including, you know, working people means, you know, you're not wealthy, you're not well-off, but you are just as important and your needs and what is going on in your family and everything else in your life is just as important and deserves as much respect as somebody who has a billion dollars.
0: That's why I think it's important uh, when moving forward with strategy within a Democratic Party is to, to be strong on the housing crisis, to be strong on a $15 15 dollar minimum wage yes. and whatever that you know that means for the the country moving forward with you know the advanced robotics that we're seeing that are trying to replace the the worker um, so we have to design a party that that brings in these people and I think that these ideas that we're talking about are really going to be bringing these people in. Um, I think that we're already seeing a turn towards uh, the Democratic Party, not just because of Donald Trump, but because of progressive ideas that are being uplifted within the party. Um, I mean, in this country, think about, there's never been a Medicare for all town hall ever in this country. And there just recently was one in January that Bernie Sanders held. And I think that that's just like a testament to where we can win on progressive values, you know, and, and, and with populist um, strategy um, moving forward. But, you know, I think we're having a really great discussion about, you know, elitism within
5: the, the Democratic Party and throughout the country. Um, did, we, did we talk at all about um, what that looks like in terms of canvassing and areas that people are hitting in voters?
0: Ah, uh, not, not, not really. I didn't know if we wanted to get into that kind of There's strategy. Like a but point that
5: probably should be made on yeah, it. that sure. it really informs our stuff. I don't know if anybody else wants to. Or... No, go yeah, ahead. Absolutely. Start it. Just, just, um, you know, I think one of the reasons that that a lot of folks like Nate Silver and a lot of the punditry that pays attention to voting operations underestimated Trump. They said, "Well, he has no ground game," Um and it was because he had a game that is different fundamentally from uh, the game that the political class has run for decades. So both political parties for decades have uh, done short-term voter engagement where, you know, you've got limited energy, you don't have a very enthusiastic volunteer base, so you reasonably go for what are considered likely voters, right? Mm -hmm. And both parties have taken it for granted that in most elections, most voters stay home, Mm -hmm. right? And they go for the likely people. And the, the... It might make sense of the short term uh, calculus, but with a long term vision, it's it's not asking what are the things that we could do differently to get more voters engaged. Right. And it's it, it is part of what has made the Democratic Party first attentive to the donor class and then attentive to the more educated class of likely voters and very inattentive. To working people and it's just led to a massive disenfranchisement so when we go to when we do knock every knock every door is not our only voter strategy we have to to win do some likely voter engagement but i'm really proud of the knock every door work that we have done and we're mm-hmm. looking for how to integrate that long term into our work because we're going to areas asking people questions like what do you think of the political establishment what issues are important to you and a lot of these folks just don't get knocks on their door and they're ready to talk. And a lot of them don't know that there's an election, they, let alone a primary or like how that works. So the signals of disenfranchisement are everywhere in some of these working-class neighborhoods when we knock on folks. And the door opens wider when we say we're not the Democratic Party. And when, when I say things like, hey, I'm registered as a Democrat, but reluctantly. And here's why, here's why I'm reluctant. And here's why I am registered as a Democrat. Because they're not going to change things on their own. It's going to take people like you and me picking candidates who are going to work for us and voting for them in the primary. So we tell that story. Um, I just think that's that's really, I can't emphasize enough the importance of canvassing as course correction in this problem of insularity and this problem of, of, of building, having an insurgent force not just be like, you know, tilting at windmills and like being this like, you know, story of the righteous few, but like actually gaining power. We have to organize the base. They're not going to do it for us, and we have to like do that by knocking doors. Knocking doors does two really important things. It gives opportunities for working people to get back involved and to get kind of a foothold on a sense of political agency, being part of a project that has a voice, however small it is, that has a voice that can influence the direction of things. That's a game changer when you get people through that process. And the other thing it does is it orients our emerging leadership to be oriented toward the bases that we need to be organizing into a force. And I can't say this enough, uh, based on, you know, building on Michelle's point about, um, you know, seeing a lot of like the radical left being missing mark just as much in terms of reaching a a broader audience. I have so many friends whose primary point of reference, unfortunately, I don't know if they know this consciously. um, And I've fallen into this in the past. Um, where your primary kind of point of reference is, are my woke radical friends gonna like my Facebook status or retweet my tweets? We lose as long as that's our point of reference, right? We have to orient. And once you're involved in a project that's getting working people in the door into a political vehicle and, and that it's such a game changer that it really becomes the only thing that matters. You don't care if you're saying it this way or that way. You don't care if your like radical woke friends like think it passes the muster of like, you know, the, the radical litmus test. Like you care about that process and it's about reaching people where they are. So so one of the things that Canvas does and why it's so important is it orients emerging leaders to be organizers, not just to have politics as we're so good at in the radical left, but to know how to do politics.
2: Yeah, I'll just echo all of that. Um, a couple of weeks ago we had our canvas launch here at Lancaster Stands Up and we sent 70 canvassers out to Lancaster City and Lancaster County. And um, the people who um, have been our sort of like lead canvassers um, who helped to send people out, we had a meeting afterwards to sort of debrief the event. And uh, one person said when he was out canvassing, he could actually see the change that was happening in the way people thought of themselves um, in terms of the political process. Like he was at the door having this conversation and actually seeing how people were beginning to see themselves as a part of politics again, and just in a short, you know, few-minute conversation, um, giving people a little bit of the vocabulary and validating their experience, and and sharing that, um, making a connection with them, and sharing um, your own story about how like you've been struggling or how the political establishment is failing you or whatever, um, or how these policies that we're pushing for are going to benefit people. Um, and people are just hungry for that. Um, and, and are just waiting for someone to knock on their door or call them and say, how can you get involved? Like ask them to get involved and ask them to make a difference and tell them that their voice matters. Um, and so it was really amazing to hear, um, not just, you know, staff, um, who've been in this for like even, like, staff here, like, a lot of us are pretty new to politics, too, but people who've only been canvassing for a couple of months, just, like, seeing that change happen um, while they're at the door. So it's been pretty inspiring.
0: I think even seeing, just, just sitting here in this room, just listening to you guys talk, it, it's just it's just interesting to see the compassion and passion that's in, involved in this process. I mean, if we didn't care about the everyday person, we wouldn't be here doing what we do, you know? um I, I can't speak as much for you know smucker and julia and, and, and Eliza because they're completely invested in in this process um by by working uh with their organizing but it it 's just a it 's a really beautiful thing to see that we're actually doing something about it you know I think that 's something that 's really important moving forward to stresses the action of what we can do you know the political action it 's not always about protesting but it 's about the other little things that we can do like canvassing or or writing letters to the editor or or you know to what we did with building our podcast and um doing these these things are important moving forward to get you know control the narrative to to work together with our fellow man to make a or, or woman um to to make a better um United States of America and that's 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 what I think makes America great again is uh or well it always was great I guess but um or what that's have you. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different story.
1: I <laughs> think are we No, keep going, yeah. Just one other point, um, in regards to what Jonathan and Julia both brought up, particularly in when you talk about like quote unquote respectability politics, meaning like people who, you know, are really far well, who are on the left and might be known as like uh, more radical, uh, and how that might scare some, some people off and, and us needing to get us needing to get away from that. Um, there is an excellent video on YouTube by somebody by the name of Contra Points. Uh, it's called, the title of the video is called the left. It's about 14 minutes and it is worth your time to go. And after you're done listening to this podcast to go and listen to that video, um, because she points out all the things that the left needs to do to sort of um, combat this toxic narrative that uh, we have and Democrats have um, and how to sort of reclaim this and make it more like inviting to everyday people and how to explain ourselves. It is I can't stress enough that you should go and view this video um, just to sort of hear what she says and how to... Um, uh, just how we can rebrand ourselves and really make this a a, a a movement that is wide open for everybody and that people can understand and get behind.
2: Well, Lancashire like Stands Up um, is now in the midst of our canvas. Um, we're canvassing every weekend from now until May um, and then probably with the short break from basically from now until November um, because... We know that that's what it's going to take to flip this district. Um, that to engage the number of voters, we need to engage to elect uh, a progressive um, to, to Congress. Um, that's what we're going to need to do, and it's going to take everyone to make that happen. So if uh, you're local uh, in the Lancaster area and um, you want to get plugged in, You can find us on Facebook um, or our website is LancasterStandsUp.org. And you can sign up for a Canvas shift um, and go out and start talking to your neighbors about um, what you care about and ask them what they care about. And if you're not local, um, we're actually trying to get in touch with folks um, in other areas who want to lend their support to this district. Um, At our Canvas launch, we actually had a ton of people come in from New York and Baltimore and D.C., um, because they recognize the importance of flipping this district too. So um, definitely um, get in touch with us, and um, we'll we'll definitely find a role for you in our campus.
5: Did we talk about Jess King
2: at all? We didn't talk about Jess King. All right, mm-hmm.
5: well, folks should just know. About <laughs> the endorsement. Yeah, that Lancaster stands up. Some membership uh, voted uh, an overwhelming margin, 82%, to endorse Jess King in the Pennsylvania primary. And I think on... Um, and our canvas is an independent operation. It's yep. not coordinated with the campaign, partly to show that there's independent power, um, but also to make a difference in this election. So we're knocking doors um, to flip it. But Jess's, Jess's campaign really embodies a lot of the things that we're talking about, about shifting gears entirely, about playing a new game that is about enthusiasm, that's about opening the gates instead of, like, shutting the doors of the clubhouse, um, and, you know, providing onboard you know, they're going to win through knocking a lot of doors. Um, And um, so it's very exciting to have a candidate who really um, is embodying, uh, you know, somebody who has not been in office before, who has done community service, who has a huge track record of it, and who was asked to run and who thoughtfully considered it and decided, yes, it is up to people like us to run for office and who is just doing an exemplary job. And uh, last thing I'll say about her in relationship to the Democratic Party um, conversation that we had. I think that sometimes there's a narrative that kicks in about like, yes, we'll run candidates, but we're outgunned inevitably. The corporate candidates are going to have all the money. We're going to be poor and penniless. And then like it puts us in a position where we're like righteously defending our you know, righteous candidates, but like everybody knows, and it's the narrative that they can't actually win because we're going to be outspent. Just outraised all the other candidates in the last quarter, um, uh, coming close to two hundred thousand dollars. This is from small donations. Um, uh, outraised uh, Smucker, my uh, cousin, uh, who's the Republican, <laughs> reluctantly cousin. Republican uh, incumbent, outraised all the other Democratic challengers, including ones who are renowned for their fundraising and have the establishment backing. So uh, we're really showing that like, with grassroots enthusiasm, we can change the game, but no one's going to do it for us. Like, We actually have to organize it. That's something the 2016 election just showed us, is that our institutions are failing us, and it's going to be up to us to build the new vehicles and the new people power that can turn this around. So the motto
0: moving forward for the podcast is be powerful every day. You can do it, and you can do it with Lancaster's hands up. We are counting on you to provide us feedback on the episode. Please comment below. We will feature comments and feedback on our next episode. Also, just go and like our Lancaster Stands Up Facebook page already. Add us on Instagram and follow us on Twitter for exciting updates on events and how to get involved in building a protest to power progressive movement. Thanks for listening.